All right, well, this is pretty cool. In Donnie Nelson's office with Tony Ronzoni and Donnie Nelson, alongside Bobby Corrala and myself, Mike Marshall, for a little little chat, a little discussion about the uh, the scouting, the uh, the evolution, the uh, when, what, and uh, where all of the uh, scouting of Luka Doncic happened and how it came to light and how he became a Dallas Maverick that we're very excited about this season. How are we doing, guys? All's well. Great. Good to see you. Good to meet Mot- you Mot- yesterday. Bene. Yes, great to meet you, too. <laughs> what language is that? That's Italian. Italian? Yeah. How I'm many sure languages you, you Yeah, speak? you picked up probably a lot over the Yo years. Yo hablo muchos linguistas. <laughs> I speak many None of them well. <laughs> None of them well. We know, Tony and I know how to order, say defense and every, uh, yeah, get get back, uh, get your, get Chinese, down. Fonjo, defense, yeah. Ting, stop, Maywon T, no problem. So we got, we got enough. Yeah. Give me the number the one, no onions. E, e, R, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably know snake's blood too at this point, right? <laughs> Uh, yes, and that's that's all a uh, recommendation of Mr. Donnie Nelson as a young rookie <laughs> and as my boss. Uh, I got uh, forced upon to drink the famous snake blood, which uh, it's probably been giving me a lot of energy over the years. It's probably been one of the fruition of you my life. You got a lot of vitality at this, you know. Oh, no question. It was it's an aphrodisiac, actually, but it, it doesn't work past 50. <laughs> <laughs> Does anything? <laughs> but the snake blood tale is a true one. Yeah? I mean, we were literally... Uh, Wang Zhuzhu sitting down negotiating with uh, the Chinese Red Army, and um, yeah, the snake blood was passed, and that was the night that I learned that it was uh, strategically uh, beneficial to sit next to the plant. <laughs> <laughs> Do or have old, a fall guy. One of those. Things. You just got to be faster than the other guy when the bear's chasing you. So just pass it down the table. One. That's that's for you now. Yeah, the you... plant was very wet. As I realized, as I kept drinking all the snake blood and everything else they gave me, I, Donnie. After about an hour, looked at me. Goes. I looked at him. I said, "You you feel great?" He says, "Fantastic." I look at <laughs> look at the tree. He goes, "Check the tree behind me." I'm like. He's dripping of water. Oh, no. <laughs> Turning brown. You, you thought Donnie just did it all in <laughs> one. He outsmarted me. Yeah. It's all good. Tony took one for the team that night. <laughs> yeah. Did you get any Spider-Man-like uh, superpowers for the next week uh, or so? Probably for the, yeah, for the next month. My, I said it was seeing crossed eye, but it felt good, though. <laughs> Snake blood go. was in my system. There you Pure. go. So have you been a scout for 20 years now? Is that what we're coming up on? Uh, yeah, probably longer Thinking- than that, too. Because I started at coaching at Arizona State as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played overseas. I played in Australia New Zealand and kind of did the tour of duty and got lucky at, at 26 years old to get an assistant job at Arizona State working in the, in the Pac-12. And, and then after that, I went to all places, Saudi Arabia, and coached a national team at 26, turned 27. I remember being there on my birthday, standing in the payphone line with – 30 other people and waiting for my time to call my mom to let her know that I'm safe and I'm good in Saudi because it was difficult to use phones over there back in the late 80s and so I've kind of been ventured around they went to Dubai for a few years and coached and then of course Donnie and I known each other for 30 years and stayed in touch and then we'd run into each other at these tournaments in like St. Petersburg Russia and He's the only scout from the NBA there working because he was, you know, also he was the pioneer for all the international and Marcellonis. And I was over there coaching and on a whim, just following and playing against all these players. And we just kind of struck up conversation again. And that's how it kind of transpired. And we're together for 30 years. You played professionally in New Zealand? Yes. We just went there for my honeymoon a couple months ago. What a spectacular place. Did you go to South Island in North? Yes. We went to uh, Auckland for two nights and then flew to South Island and spent a whole week, man. Beautiful. What an incredible place. Yeah. I was fortunate when I played over there. I got to even go to the bottom, Invercargill, which is the actual bottom down there. Mm -hmm. And and there's beautiful cities everywhere. North Harbor, 
right there by Auckland and great wine, by the way. Hawks Bay, I'm sure you had the wine. Oh, there. yeah. So all these years later, Olympic gold medals, NBA championship, of course, for Donnie. You guys are now running the personnel department for the Mavs, director of player personnel, obviously president of basketball operation, GM. You guys are the ones that make everything happen. Is that right or is is that right? You pull, I would say everything. It's a team. No, it's a team effort. Everything. Um, everything. No, I mean, look, it's uh, we we're blessed to have an incredible staff, and um, Tony and I are really are responsible for scouring the the planet and making sure that you know every stone's unturned. And um, yeah, and so we've had a long history uh, together in all the continents. We've <laughs> we've done. Uh, you know, clinics in Africa together with kids that didn't have shoes to, you know, you name it. I thought my passport was thick in experiences until I asked Tony, hey, um, there's this uh, seven foot seven guy, Michael Rye in North Korea. Um, you know, what do you think? And he's like, well, I'm like going there next month. And uh, so he was the original Dennis Rodman, you know, <laughs> um, literally doing clinics in North Korea. I, I, I almost fell off my chair. I thought, you know, I, I had a pretty good track record. But, uh, no, Tony and I have been like an old married couple for many years. And, um, you know, we've been blessed to, you know, work for Mark now for 18 years. And um, he's really, in a lot of respects, taken all of our international um, escapades to a different level. I mean, we're we're we've really taken it to a new stratosphere. So um, excited about the future and Luca and you know all things Mavericks. Yeah. When did the idea of traveling and scouting go from just an idea to okay, somebody's actually going to pay me to go to St. Petersburg, as you said, or go to China? And it's not just you know I wish I could go do this. It jumped to okay, this is my job now. This is a big tenet of my occupation is to travel here, travel there. Um, and come back and tell people, you know, honest scouting reports of guys and that they are just abstract thoughts at this point in their mind. Well, you know, with Donnie going in with the Lithuanian national team, that was a big start, you know, in bringing over Marcelonis to the Warriors. And, and it was also Atlanta was getting involved. But very only a couple teams were starting it. And, and I was already over there coaching, traveling around. And Donnie was doing the NBA. So we kind of – the match was perfect. We knew each other. And then with me traveling and playing against all these players and then I played in a tournament, we kind of were – looking at China, is there any players over there? And I actually played in a tournament with my team and saw this 16-year-old kid named Wong Juju. And so Donnie gets on a plane. We fly into China. We we watch him work out, and we both look at each other, and he's an NBA player, had a great career. And we got to be able to draft him in the second round, the first Chinese player ever. And, you know, and of course, Eddie Nahara with the first uh, uh, Hispanic player in the NBA. And so it's been – it's been a good run, but, you know, if you think about it, back then there was only a few guys in the NBA that, you know, had a chance to come over here. The, the league was still looking at, like, they're not ready, they're not quick enough, they can't guard, this and that. There was always a stereotype of these international players. And since that time in the last 18 years, I mean, what, the third of the league is, is international now. You know, and I remember one year, the draft, I think three or five years ago, there was 17, you know, 25, half the draft was international. So it's not going away, and as we look at the landscape this year, the, this year was probably the down year for international, uh, but it's going to rev up again. There's some good players coming, as well as good college players that we're looking at constantly too. And so it's it's not going away. So it's exciting times. But as an organization, you know, Donnie's we gotta we gotta know everything. We gotta be information, and we gotta be ahead of everybody. And our relationships gives us an opportunity to be successful because we can get information and go places and get things done. What's happened so quickly, too. So you think of 20 years ago, 
you guys with Dirk, it's like, no, keep him a secret. When no one, we can't tell anybody about this guy. You know, he's just some gangly German kid. Like, oh, mm-hmm. don't, don't talk, don't talk about him. We don't like him. We don't like him. And then 20 years later, everybody knows about Luka Doncic. Like everybody from 2015, 2016, when he's like 15 years old, everyone knows about him. So you can't keep it a secret anymore. There's 29 other teams that are all in on him. So how has that changed from? You being one of the only people that knows about these studs to now, everybody does, and you've got to find a way to, to identify the player you like and try and get him. Well, you're right, is that the world's gotten smaller in the information age, and um, you know, anyone that's got his skill set is found out pretty quick. You know, I, um, So it makes it more challenging, but not impossible. You know, I think um, you're you know, kind of pointing out the contrast of Dirk and Luca, and they probably couldn't be any more stark I mean if you think about you know Dirk that played in Wurzburg that wasn't exactly in Germany that wasn't exactly known as a basketball powerhouse known for the um, x-ray though yeah exactly right it's claim to fame Wurzburg so um no and 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 again um when you come across diamonds in the rough like that you know no matter what continent it's hard to kind of keep your uh, excitement down you know um and uh, at that point you know you know it was um us making sure that you know we got good information to uh uh, nelly that was a decision maker at the time and then you're setting strategy on draft and whatnot luca like you said you know europe knew this kid you know when he was 17 years old 16 you know you start to see those things and then um, he goes to the big city. I mean, he literally goes to Real Madrid where um, he starts to take things to a whole different stratosphere. Um, but that's why, again, draft day, we, um, we had to pay the price. You know, we, we gave up this year's uh, first-round pick, which was uh, a good deal in our estimation, to trade up to make sure we insure him. Whereas with Dirk, because he was a little bit more unknown, we were able to trade back and pick up, you know, this little point guard from Canada, another international guy that isn't really known from being <laughs> from a basketball powerhouse. You know, hockey players and soccer players are up there in Canada, but we're able to parlay that situation into what were, you know, two two-time MVPs with Dirk and Steve. And so those are the, the two extremes, but um, we hope both have um, equally as uh, impactful um, – um, you know, benefit to the Mavericks. Trading down to get Dirk, it was a good move. It was a <laughs> that good worked move. out all right, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so when a guy goes from, you know, a um, a little-known prospect, jumps into Real Madrid or Maccabi Tel Aviv or one of those clubs, do you go, oh, rats, cat's out of the bag now. Like, everyone's going to know who he is. Every scout's going to see him. He's going to be on every TV. You know, he is known now, and he's going to be talked about because the media now is – they, they, they search for it and they actually, I think a lot of the media now in America is intrigued with international because they see us there and you better have information to know what's going on over there. So, But there's still that mystery for some teams is there's still that, you know, can he guard, can he defend all that? And in reality, these, you know, the second best league in the world besides the NBA is, is the EuroLeague. You know, with the G League gaining right now, it's getting really better. So I'd say the top three leagues in the world. How would you compare that to college, by the way? D1 uh, college? The, 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 the European yeah. EuroLeague? Oh, they would, they would beat the national championship by 40 points. Really? Real Madrid would beat Villanova by 40 points. 
Fascinating. Because, wow. you know, you're talking about Anthony Randolph, a number nine pick. You had Doncic. Sergey Lowe got drafted by Houston Rockets. Trey Tompkins played in the NBA with the Clippers. I mean, they have real – these are players. I mean, Luka wasn't playing with – Local YMCA down in Dallas. He was playing the top team in Europe, with you and Real me. Madrid. <laughs> yeah. So every and you understand over there, there's 40 minute games. There's there's some two people don't realize there's 35 less possessions per game compared to an NBA. So that means every possession is important. Every shot is important. You can't turn the ball over. You got to make plays, and that's why it's a different game. It's a good game. It's a quicker game. There's less timeouts. So room for error over there and the pressure to play. If you go to Maccabi, I mean the fans are crazy. You go to Barcelona and so it's a different world so you got to be mentally tough so when you evaluate these players you know they have some toughness and there's no fear factor you know and then again it takes and again any European guy even for Dirk it took him a year or two to adjust not just going to have an adjustment you're not a whole new terminology you got a different ball the line is longer and you're playing against guys you don't know and so it's going to always be an adjustment but I think his will be a lot quicker than most guys coming over. Yeah, here. Real Madrid um, literally has NBA players coming off their bench, <laughs> it's and, crazy. And, and these guys are men. You know, yeah. it's not fair to have them lock horns with uh, you know college teams. Look, if you're lucky, you have two two NBA players on a college team. You know, if you've got a, a bumper crop, maybe three, maybe four. I mean, these guys are are, are men and hungry and professionals and so uh, I don't know if I'd have it by 40, but, uh, yeah, they would get waxed pretty good. Well, if you look at the past history of NBA teams playing in Europe in preseason, now I know we're not playing all our starters the whole game, but we're, we're, we've gotten, we went over to – we didn't have Dirk play, but we got beat by Barcelona. Toronto went one year and got beat twice over there by Madrid and another team. So, you know, San Antonio got beat by Alba Berlin. Madrid um, gave OKC fits a couple years ago whenever Luka came you over. You know, and even the crazy as it sounds, uh, Melbourne United came in last year and I was at the game at OKC. They lost by one. They had a shot to win it with Casper Ware and Josh Boone and those guys. But I'm just, you know, so the talent level, it's, you know, they're now, if you have a full NBA team and there's top eight players are playing, they're going to win. But the, there is talent there. And I think the other thing, too, is like maybe the known guys like Doncic, you hear them, they're in the draft. But, the key for for our organization and Donnie, what we need to do is we're consider we always are finding the guys that under the radar. There's still diamonds there. There's jewels. Exact exa- example is Maxi Claybear, you know, a guy that was coming from Warsburg, got hurt, didn't get drafted, was under the radar. People were worrying about his injury, so he kind of fell off the map. Went to Studiantes, played phenomenal. We were following him. Went into uh, M- M- Munich, and Donnie and I went and saw him, and he really in two three games. You know, in fact, the game, first game we saw them, I think their team got beat by 40 by uh, um, one of the bros. So, you know, example, there's guys like that over there that you've got to continue to watch, and they get bigger, they get stronger, they develop, become injury-free. So that's, for me, that's the exciting part is finding those guys. Yeah, you watch Maxi play in an NBA game, and you're like, he belongs out here. Like, he's definitely an NBA player. He's explosive. He's got the hops. He can stay in front of guys who are smaller and quicker than him. And he's a big dude, and he can shoot it. So you're like, how did he – how did no one notice him sooner? But you talk about injuries and stuff. So does that mean that we are, we're like barely scratching the surface with European there, team? Do we need more scouts, more effort over there? Well, there, I mean, that's why, I mean, the world is, I mean, you have to, you have to, I mean, there's players in Japan now. There's guys in Korea. Those leagues are paying a lot of money. The Philippines is paying money. And, and there's players everywhere. And so you got to consistently keep pursuing. And that's why we have a, a, a mini camp that, that Mark and Donnie, promote which has been great for us we bring in a lot of guys but 
we get to touch them, we get to see them, and then we get a lot of those guys in the plan for our summer league. We get a firsthand look, and again, it's all about relationships. So when they come in, we are developing relationships, and they get to see our coaches. They see Donnie, they see Keith, they see our organization that we're here, we're watching them, and you know, it's it's good feedback from the agents. And again, you got to have a relationship with these agents too. So that we're always trying to stay a step. We're, we got twenty nine other other teams that do a great job, and we're trying to stay ahead of them. And you know, the relationship part's very important. That's why you know. Donnie's our president, busy. He gets on a plane with me. We go to Europe. We spend time there. Yeah, for sure. So, Donnie, on, on draft night and the day after the draft, whenever you're talking about Luca and getting him here, you brought up the name Bill Duffy and just how important it was, your relationship with Bill. So could you just kind of walk us through how important it is to to be tight with these guys because ultimately agents really are influential in, in the whole team-building process? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, look – the next most important person besides mom, dad, you know, wife, girlfriend to a player is his agent. I mean, that's where he invests his money, and and uh, it's the agent's job to uh, protect his best interest. Tony and I have been lucky. We were when we were in the Bay Area. I was, you know, Tony's from there, and so he knew Bill a lot longer than I did. But when I was with the Golden State Warriors, you know, that's when Bill first got his guy's first client was Jason Kidd yeah, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And, uh, and then he had Steve Nash, and that's how we got, you know, close. And so, but those relationships are critical. And um, look, it's it's not just the personal relationship. You've got to be a destination that international players want to come to. And Dallas yeah. is that. We've been extremely blessed that, you know, when Dad was here, he really opened things up. He yeah. ran more of a European-style system that Dirk just had a, a, a lot of success in. Rick obviously has got, you know, a wide open uh, as well, you know, offense and loves to have players that you know, have those ability to shoot and pass and spread and those types of things. And we're international city, you know, we're not only just you know, number four or five market, but, you know, we're a very diverse community, which is also uh, extremely important, you know, um, tax free certainly doesn't help major international airport. Um, but the reality is, is that people love to play for for Rick because he um, coaches a European style system that people feel comfortable with. Mark obviously is a, um, a terrific owner that sees the benefit of having a global brand and international players as well. And so we're just you know blessed to be in the right petri dish. For each of you, when's the uh, the first time you heard the name? Luka Doncic, and when's the first time you saw him play, either in person well, or on video? Well, Tony told me his name, so. <laughs> yeah. It's actually it's a great story. I think story. he was three years old, wasn't he? <laughs> three years old. Well, I was just Running a lemonade stand? <laughs> Probably around, you know, I'd say 14, uh, when I was in Slovenia, I heard about him. Uh, this, you started hearing, talking to people. Again, it's all about relationships. I know coaches there, I know agents. So his name was coming up a little bit, this young guy that's playing around. His dad was a Serbian, a, a real tough physical type of player his mom slovenian and he uh and then literally i kind of left him off i haven't been hearing about him much next thing i know he's at real madrid so i'm there for the yearly final four so they have a junior tournament every year that there's usually five to eight nba players in this tournament every it's been consistent and so i went to the tournament and and i watched now it's an under 18 tournament he was 15 best player in the tournament at 15 so I literally walked out of the first game, and I was with our Italian scout, Roberto Carmonetti, and I just was blown away by this kid, how just he plays with above his age. And I literally got a phone call from Bill Duffy, literally like 20 minutes later, just calling me, checking up. 
I said, hey, I just want to let you know, there's a kid here that's, I mean, he may want to try to get on him or find out who he is, but I said, this kid named Luka Doncic, and he laughed. He says, we already got him. Wow. <laughs> Goran Dragic. So mm -hmm. you see the relationship yeah, there, yeah. so that's all it went. But it was just a funny story at the time. I'm walking out of this small little gym in, in Madrid for the under-18 championships, and, you know, so, that you know, again, that relationship goes back. But uh, So I saw him when he was uh, 15, I'd say, first time. Uh, how unique of a prospect is he? I think if we're if you're a drive-by NBA fan, you see, oh, Mavs took a European kid. Oh, he's EuroLeague MVP. They don't realize, okay, he's been playing professionally for you know forever and a day, and he's got all these accolades, and he's led this team to the championship. And there's just not a European prospect like him that we that has come through as of late, or maybe even ever. He's a good player, period. We're not going to saddle him with the same curse <laughs> that we did Dirk for crying out loud. No comparison. Um, I, I guess I'll go first, Tone. Yeah, is that I'll, I'll let he, you. He just, you know, look, what you look for in, in a basketball player is a, a guy that can make decisions, a guy that can pass it, a guy that can shoot it, a guy that's self selfless and – He's got all of those um, intangibles, you know. Look, he's he's a teenager, and he's just scratching the surface. And there's times this year when he's going to look really bad, and there's times when he's going to look good. And um, I don't care if you're Nash or Dirk or whoever, um, the Gasol brothers or you name it, whoever comes through that door, there's going to be a, a period of learning and a period of uh, especially – with the age difference, I mean, Dirk showed up over here on the uh, on, on the shores, and he found out, man, this isn't Woodsburg, this isn't Kansas anymore. <laughs> These guys actually are out to take my head off because I have a job that they want, you know. And uh, now Luke is a little different because he's been through that format, but the nuances of the NBA are different because you're literally locking horns with the best athletes, especially at his position. You know, the twos and the threes and the, the ones, he might slide to a little four, but there's uh, the best collective athletes on the planet Earth are the twos and the threes in the NBA. Welcome uh, welcome to Dallas, right? Yeah. So he's going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah, I agree. He's You know, and it's, again, the first year is always a learning curve, um, but I would say the biggest asset about him is his toughness. He has no fear. And the fact is so, he plays so unselfish. He's going to be a guy – they could score five points and maybe get ten assists in a game. And to me, it's a great game for him. So, again, he's like Donnie said, he's going to get popped a few times. Guys are going to come after him pretty hard. and then, But he'll learn, just like Dirk did. It took him some time. and, and uh, But um, there's going to be some good games, going to be some bad games. But he's going to – he's been there before, and he, he wants to win. So that's one thing we, we like about him a lot. What's the uh, biggest misconception about European prospects right now? And not just as prospects, but their development. Like people kind of write them off if they can't play defense game one. They're like, ah, oh, bad defender, just out of the way. Yeah, I think that stigma's starting to go away a little more because one thing about European basketball, again, that people don't realize the 35 less possessions. So you're not talking a transition game where it's 110 to 104. So this is more about the, the, they, the one thing about the European guys that have adjusted here, the Ricky Rubin and all of them, they understand about angles, spacing. And to me, that's more important today. You know, instead of just picking up full court pressure and trying to dog a guy up and down the floor, so I think this that the, they adjust quicker because they do. And then you got to remember too, guys over there are plenty. It's very athletic guys that for every team's got two or three Americans. 
you know, I mean, he's got Anthony Randolph on his team, who's a ninth pick, got Trey Tompkins, first-round pick, and Barcelona's got guys. So he's not playing against YMCA guys in Dallas. He's playing against real pros over there and guys that are going after him. So, again, not to put pressure on him, but it's going to be adjustment. But you could see the positive of a player that knows how to play. He's skilled, and one thing you can't teach him is skills. He, he knows how to play. And once he learns to shoot with the, the NBA ball, remember the ball's different. The line's different. All those things come in factors, but he'll learn. Yeah, that was one thing that Maxie talked about last season, shooting the three. He's like, it's only a foot deeper or something, but that changes – it might not seem like a lot, but that changes everything. It changes yeah. the arc on the ball. It no changes question. how many, how much arm, how much leg you have to use. So Donnie just got up and walked out. I think he's probably pulling off a trade or something. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, up, he's <laughs> something up to no pressing. Sure. Um, but so back to the, the three-point shot, for example, is one thing that needs to translate. Now, without revealing any you know crazy trade secrets that you can't talk about, how do you look at a player and say, this will translate right away, this could improve, this might be a thing that we need to focus on for five years? I mean, how do you how do you know just from watching a guy play three or four games what, what he's all about? Well, the, one of the hardest things for uh, uh, scouts to do in, in that haven't spent time in Europe is, to, is the translation. The, t- the positive is two things that will translate, guys that can rebound, guys that can pass, and got, well, three things, and guys that defensively get steals. You know that if they're doing it in Europe, they're going to do it here. If a high school kid can rebound, he's going to probably rebound in the rec league games. He's going to rebound in college. That's pretty consistent. So those stats come together. But I think watching guys over there, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, you know, Memino Kerr when I was at Detroit, was second-round pick we got late. No one knew about him. Ended up being an all-star. You know, he's – you both can beat him in a race. You know, you could probably beat Dirk still in a race. <laughs> I think and you overestimate us. So, <laughs> so in reality, you know, the, 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 it's knowing how to play the game, the skill set. And I think Larry Bird is the ultimate guy that showed people that you can play in the NBA with not being the fastest guy. But if you can make shots, and again, that translated, to, in our opinion, to Dirk. You know, Dirk's not going to win a foot race, but he's got all the skill set to get shots off, and he understands how to play the footwork. And I think one of the thing about the Europeans is they don't play fast, but they know they, their skill set's off the chart. You know, they really spend a lot of time in the gym. Um, they have no AAU program, so they spend more time with coaches, working on their shot, doing different things. And most, the, and in America, usually we take our uh, young kids, and if they're tall, we put their back to the basket. Then what happens is they stay 5'10 until they're 18. They never grow. But in Europe, they teach opposite. They teach everything where they're facing up. That's why you see all these bigs like Maxi and Dirk and Pau Gasol and Christy Porginis. That's why they can play facing the basket. Is it difficult for you once you have to let go of a prospect? Either they go to another team or they're acquired here, and you're like, you know, all the ideas I had of how they might translate, how they might use this tool, you know, I gotta let I gotta let Shed do it now. Mm-hmm. I gotta let I gotta let I gotta let Pro take over. Like I don't need to meddle in what they're doing. I can give them my scouting report and then fly away, fly away, little bird. <laughs> yeah, and that's usually, that's usually what happens when you draft the kid. Is basically you just pass in the baton. It's to the coaches. They're gonna coach them. They figure it out. And you know, then we're and then I'm, my, my job now is I'm trying to find the next guy. We're trying to get better as a team, and we're trying to improve. And 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 uh, we got a great organization. And Mark likes the international. He supports it. And you know, when you travel around the world, people know that, you know, Dallas is a destination where European kids want to come. And that's a great for us, and we need to keep that going. And same with American players. The, they like coming here, and so we got to continue. And we've had a great run with 18 years straight in the playoffs, and now we're trying to get back to that level again. Yeah, it was a big win getting Luke on draft night. I remember we were at the, we were at the uh, Mavs draft watch party, and the place was going nuts whenever they announced the trade. And Dennis was backstage, and Dennis was hyped. Like, everybody – Everybody was feeling really good. Derek Harper, Sean Marion, they were all really pumped. But uh, 
you you said you're already on to the next guy. So what is like? When does that process start? I guess it never stops. No, but I mean, are, are you jumping on a plane tomorrow and no, leaving? As soon as the draft is over, you start going to summer league. You start pursuing, and then we got all our uh, international guys going to the youth 18s and 16s and 20s, and so we're out there. We're already getting lists. We've already had meetings today, so we're getting schedules ready for the college. And you know, of course, I do NBA too, so I'm going to NBA games. You know, you always got to be prepared for trades, what happened. But you got to, you got to. I mean, basically, you're knowing everybody in the world. I mean, uh, it's it's a lot more work now. It doesn't sound very easy, know, <laughs> knowing everybody. Yeah. Since you do NBA as well, and uh, you're probably the most knowledgeable person I've ever talked to about the world game and how it fits into the NBA, what's – I feel like a lot of teams are trying to emulate Houston or Golden State, which is very difficult to do, number one. You can't get three generational shooters or scores on the same team. But a lot of people are trying to circumvent their shortcomings by doing what Houston does, shooting threes, threes or layups. So what's the uh, what's the next thing that teams you know football? It's a spread offense. They're going maybe to the league will put in a four point line. That'll be the next thing. <laughs> okay. then you, and then you and then you're going to look for the guys who could shoot a lot deeper than anybody else. Thirty five feet exactly. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, it's it's always a transition. I mean, like the big man, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, all those guys in the day. That was the, you know you needed a big guy to be to win. You know now it's the you got six foot seven guys now playing five. You know, we, when I was with the USA Olympic team, we had LeBron James certain games playing the five for us, and then we switched everything. So a lot of teams are looking to switch more, do that. But it's interesting. I, I still think the big man is going to come back. I, I, I do. I don't think it's gone away. I just think right now that we're kind of a copycat league. Everyone just – just the way we play now. But I think – so you get some dominant big men back. I mean, Phoenix got a good one. Who knows? I mean, he could translate and be the guy there and that we need to start getting bigger. And, so. and Towns and Jokic and Embiid. Mm -hmm. Bingo. Yeah, yeah, all those guys. So and big, they all man, big man never went away. They can all play. Yeah. Yeah, and shoot the mid-range, I think. San Antonio is like the only team that still does it. And yeah, Mavs do a little bit. Barnes Mavs do. And Dirk yeah. And, it's, yeah. Obviously, it's personnel related. Mm -hmm. But I was reading something on uh, Cleaning the Glass uh, from last year, and it was basically, okay, you pick what style you want to play. If you're shooting mid-rangers, that means you're not turning the ball over. So you come comes with an advantage there, and obviously the skill set of Lamarcus Aldrich and you know the team they had over the last couple of years kind of dictates. But I'm always fascinated by what's the next thing. What are they seeing in their roster where they say, okay, I can't do that, but I can do this other version, you know, like spread offense in football, right. like the three the three or layup. Uh, Houston I think you I think you see a lot more teams really focusing this year on how to defend a three. I mean, that's going to be a big thing. How you're going to extend it out? Are you not going to help as much? It's going to be more one on one. So you're forcing a guy to drive. I, th I think that could be more of that because there are everyone's been shooting the ball. Even like Baines from Boston is now shooting. Yeah, threes, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then you're talking about Jonas Valanciunas in Toronto starting to work on threes. So everyone, uh -huh. you know, that's so. I think what it's going to become is more of a one-on-one, -on -one, become a de better defender and and stopping that. So again, I think the four-point play. So. My goal is now to find that four-point shooter in, in America, <laughs> around the world. So that's probably good. You know, I brought that up. I'm gonna start looking for those guys. <laughs> there you go. Gotta start pulling you, up. You encourage me. I'm gonna go to practices when they finish the the, the practice and they start doing half-court shots. Uh, I'm gonna find out who's the guys that keep making those yeah. shots. So there that, you go. Be our next guy. He shot eight percent today. <laughs> yeah. I'm signing him right now. <laughs> yep. When did the uh, the conversation for you and the guys in the front office shift from okay, if Luca falls to our pick, take him. And then when did the conversation shift from that to do whatever you can to get this guy? I think he's the best player in this draft, generational talent type guy. Yeah, there's a lot of factors in that without giving up too much. I sure. can't really say how it went down. But the, the end of the day is, is that, you, you know, you, you have, other, you, have uh, tier, you have guys that you list and who you want. And 
and you just got to tr- figure it out that night. Sometimes it's 30 minutes before, sometimes it's the day before, but there's a lot of, I mean, the phones are going, you know, just make sure your battery's full on these things because <laughs> if it goes out and you got something going down, you better be on top of it. So, yeah. and again, you know, we, our organization's great. Everyone's on the same page and with Mark as our leader, it's, it's awesome because he allows us to, to Donnie to do things. So, but we're excited for the future and we're excited for today and then, our job and our and our scouts and everyone is we got to get out there and start pursuing to find more talent. Is there a uh, archetype of player that this coaching staff thrives on? I know heavy guard lineups are pretty popular with Rick, but is there a guy that if you hand them off to that coaching staff and he's you know maybe not a natural or a classic uh, archetype of player that you go? I know they can make something out of that guy. And do you skew more towards those guys whenever yeah, you're scouting? You, you know, I mean, uh, coach likes playmakers, which is great. And I think that's the, kind of the game that's moving towards is uh, playmakers. And and if you got a guy that can make plays, you know, either passing or making shots or just creating, I think that's that's kind of the game right now, as you you know referred to earlier about different teams, how they play Golden State. Playmakers are huge. And then, of course, you got to make shots. And then on top of that, it'd be nice you can guard too. Yeah. Even though, you know, my good friend Mike D'Antoni says, let's just outscore everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for a long time, it felt like Dirk was carrying the torch for European prospects. Like everyone's going to get measured up against him. If he's successful, then the next five to 10 years of European prospects, they're either going to get viewed as, you know, top 10 picks or they're going to be later in the lottery guys. And it feels like Luca's another pivot point. Where he's taken three, we gave up two first round picks for him. One, yeah, <laughs> correct uh, that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it feels like the next five to ten years of European prospects and how they're viewed around the league is kind of hinging on whether Luca's a success or not. Now I know it's a lot of pressure to put on him, but that's kind of how the league goes. Yeah, I mean, look, they're going to follow guys that are successful, and, if, and whoever's successful with their position and what they do, then they then they are going to look at more of those guys. Yeah, you, you don't know. copy the bad teams. <laughs> yeah, because you know it's hard. It's rare to find a six eight point guard. Really, I mean, he's a he's a multi talented all around guy that does a lot of things. You know, that's very unselfish. That's the thing about him. He does. He's not into. He don't have to score 30. He, he can score 10 and infect the game like Jason Kidd did. And, and again, it's going to be an adjustment. Uh, you know, we don't want to put him in that situation. But it, it is a learning curve to learn the game and everything. So, But we're excited, and now we just got to go out and keep finding the next guy. We got to move on. What does he do extremely well that no one's talking about right now? I think it's just his unselfishness, his ability to play with players. I think guys want to play for him. I mean, it's natural when Jason Kidd players, Steve Nash, if you knew if you ran the floor hard, He's probably going to get you the ball. And I think that's the exciting part is that, you know, maybe more movement off the ball because he does play. He just – he finds guys. And, and again, there's he's going to get – guys are coming at him this year. I mean, they're going to come at him. But I think he's going to like it. And uh, we'll have fun watching him play this year as the rest of the team, not just him, the Mavericks. There you go. Yeah, Tony, before we get you out of here, one last question. So Europe has been the continent that everybody's talking about in the last – five eight years it seems like there are players coming from africa you got Embiid, serge Ibaka. obviously like there are just more players coming from that continent now this summer there was australian teams in here playing so is, is australia kind of like the next frontier or, uh, or australia is it going not, into Asia australia's or? not going away um, in fact yeah. i'm going over there in november in fact uh, melbourne uh team is playing philadelphia next week they're also playing toronto sydney kings are playing the clippers um um New Zealand's playing uh, Phoenix. That's Sean Marion's team now, the New Correct. Zealand Breakers. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. So the the basketball over there is and it's a it's interesting. One of my dear friends, Larry Kesselman, actually bought the league, the NBL, and what he's done with that league is he's putting on TV. It's becoming now the league of choice. They love basketball there. They have the most, I guess, NBA subscribers 
per capita in anywhere in the world that watch NBA League Pass, which is amazing. They love the game. Their league is competitive. Australians are tough people. They like they 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 grew up in the rugby AFL atmosphere, so they, they compete. They're very unselfish players, as Ben Simmons, you see, the Deladova type, Patty Mills, same type. So the, the the players in Australia can continue. I mean, it's pretty shocking the talent level that's coming up. Um, you're going to see more Australia. There's, in fact, here's an interesting stat. There's over 250 Australians playing college basketball right now. Really? Division wow. one, two, and three. 250. Wow. Now you say out of those 250, one gets drafted, but at least 10 are going to go back to Australian play. So the league is continuing to improve, and that's why you know we've brought in a lot of Australian free agents over here to our mini camp to get a look at. Like Mitch Creep played in our summer league, he ended up getting a deal with Brooklyn, and he's got a chance to get a two way or whatever up there. So we wish him luck. He's a great guy. And for Ryan Brokoff here, of and, course, and, too. And then Ryan and Ryan here too is is. Uh, you know, big time shooter, and he's tough, and we'll, and he's again adjusting here. So Australia's not going away. So Europe, Australia, Africa, you know, and even now Japan. You got the kid from George Washington that's in Memphis, and he's playing well. And then you got, you know, okay, I can't talk about young guys, but got to remember <laughs> well, that. Ding, Ding right is there. here. Ding is on the, the yeah, twenty minute roster yeah, right now. So in China, yeah, so y'all are going yeah. to China, of course. So that'll yeah. be that'll yeah. be big. Too, so too. again, there, there's talent around the world. It's not going away. Basketball, the league's done a great job promoting it, and it's it's here, and it's not it's not going away. It you feels play, like you uh, played a big part in it too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And it feels like international scouting is like the purest form of scouting that still exists. Like whenever I worked for the Cowboys, Gil Brandt would say. Okay, a housewife can tell you who the best player is and who the worst player is. It's finding the the gyms in that middle section. I feel like that's still what international is because there's no AAU skewing perception or telling you who the best guy is. Yeah, and also those free agents that don't get drafted, you're still yeah. keeping an eye on them after two or three years. And maybe their body's different. They also couldn't shoot. Now they can mm -hmm. shoot. You know, like remember Jason Kidd came and he couldn't shoot. All of a sudden he could shoot at the end of his career. I think the second round guys in the college are still those mystery guys. You know, can they become better than their second round pick? And you know, where are they at? The Ginobili's and Mimino Kerr's are all second-round guys that, that Marco Yards that made it. So that's the fun part of it. And, again, international, it's still it's, um, it's still a mystery, and it's in trying to see what guys can translate over here. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. All right. Thank Thanks, you. guys. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. That was fun. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you.